And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Top Level Talk podcast. I am your host, Harrison Reno, alongside me, co-host Dan Kylie. Guys, it is week zero. We have made it. We are through the dark days. We are through the dark ages of the offseason. It is August 23rd, Tuesday, August 23rd, about 7.32. We are a little bit late, but that is on me. I was not prepared, and when you're not prepared, you're late. So, Dan's rocking a new shirt today. Dan, it's Tuesday night. It's football season. How are we doing, my man? We made it through the dark ages, so to speak. It's that period every year where you have baseball to get you through, and that's good. And I love baseball, and I could probably talk baseball all day, but there's something special about football. And I can tell you it's special because I even watch preseason NFL games just to get some football. But we made it. We made it. I've watched, you know, one or maybe one or two just – Preseason game so far, but, you know, I've been sitting here waiting for college football. My passion, if you will, you know, when I watch football, I want to watch college football. I, I, I respect the pros. I somewhat enjoy watching pro football, but college football is where it's at. So with that being said, let's go ahead and dig right on in as we are a two minutes into the show. we got an action-packed show, guys. This is the final show of the offseason and really couples as the first show of the season Football season's here. So our hot topic, we got two hot topics of the week. First one, first question, Dan, is it all right to have a backup team? I'm going to let you explain what we mean when we see backup team in this scenario before you give your answer. So a backup team would be a team that you root for if your team is not involved, uh, uh, like your second favorite team, so to speak. So uh, the reason we, we asked this one is because there are a lot of people who – once their team has been eliminated, they kind of pick another team to root for, and that's kind of like their team, and they carry them through the playoffs, whatever the case may be. And some people have backup teams in every single sport, and I guess that's okay. I mean, like for me, you have to understand I'm a little bit different because I moved a lot when I was a kid. So I was eight or nine years old before I even knew the Georgia Bulldogs existed. So I rooted for other teams before I rooted for Georgia. So my grandfather played football for Notre Dame. So I obviously grew up a Notre Dame fan. You were only allowed to be a Notre Dame fan in my house until we moved down south and away from the rest of my family. Then I uh, started going to Georgia games, hanging around with Georgia people, and started to realize these are my people. Like the people in South Bend, love them. Those are not my people. I am nothing like those people. I am not rich like that. Um, I am like these people down here where, you know, and they just became my team. But I didn't stop rooting for Notre Dame. I grew up rooting for Notre Dame, and I rooted for them every single weekend. And as long as they're not playing Georgia, I still want them to do well. Um, and kind of like in high school, everybody kind of rooted for Oregon whenever they started doing those crazy uniforms. So pretty much everybody my age kind of has this thing where they kind of like Oregon, and it's probably for the uniforms. So in, in my opinion, backup teams are okay as long as – you're not out here trying to pimp that team as your team and like trying to pound your chest about them when they win because that's not really your team. Like Georgia's my team. So once Georgia's out, if Georgia loses, you know, hey, like if Notre Dame were to win the national title, I can't run around pimping out like, oh, listen, go Irish. You can't do that. That's not how that works. So I think you can have a backup team or a secondary team that you enjoy watching. What say you, sir? I'm going to go no. I, I'm not one for backup teams. I'm not one for rooting for conferences. I don't care what the SEC does. Now, granted, you know, I'm here to cover Georgia. That's what I do for a living. Well, 
what's what I hope to do for a living. Currently, I'm in school for a living. As you all know, I'm in preschool now. I am five years old. Um, as Dan makes, uh, you know, as, as Dan probably jokes about um, sometimes in the comments, and even my man Robert Reynolds uh, in the comments giving me a mustache to make me look a little bit older, uh, talking about that. So, you know, I'm not one for, for backup schools. I'm not one for rooting for conferences. I'm not one that's going to sit here and pound my chest when Kentucky wins the Belk Bowl um, and say SEC, SEC. No, nah, no, nah, cut that out. That's, that's not it. That's not, that's not the way I roll. Um, so a little disagreement here between me and Dan. Uh, but my reason is, you know, if you're a Georgia fan, who's your backup team? Like, there's no need for it. I, I, I understand there's a difference between rooting for somebody in a game and supporting other people in a game. Um, you know, there are some weird cases. I've seen, uh, you know, there there are exceptions, I will say. There are exceptions to the rule. Say, Dan, you know, Dan, if, you, if both of your children go to different schools, say, you know, if someone goes to Florida, God forbid, I know, God forbid for you, and the other one goes to Georgia, then, yeah, I, w- I won't give Danny any crap if I say Dan wearing some some orange and blue Florida gear. I'm sure Dan's going to, like, absolutely go off on the Gators at some point this episode talking about it in response. So there are some special exceptions. You know, a house divided. When your mom went to NC State, your mom went to North Carolina, there's a lot of that in my neck of the woods back in North Carolina. I've seen it all the time. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to say no, um, because I just, I just don't like the idea of having two teams. I feel like if you're going to be committed to a team, make sure you're 100% committed. Dan, we talked about it. You know, the Rhett Venables, Dabo Sweeney school of recruiting, I'm going to take that into the school of fandom. Support your team. Support them 100%. Dan, question number two. Hot topic of the week. This is something that I've seen some people talk about. It is a big thing for all these diehard college football fans. Oh, yeah. Jeremiah Sodder says, I will still give him hell for wearing Florida gear. I would Jeremiah, accept it. He would accept it. Okay. Well, like 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 Dan said, he will accept it. <laughs> um, hot, you know, this is something – our second hot topic of the week is something people have talked about. I've seen on social media a couple of times over the last few weeks, and it is, does it bother you as fans – and I guess for us, you can even say as as podcasters and media members to see, you know, these eighth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth graders on college visits taking pictures in these college uniforms and being able to post them everywhere. Dan, I'm going to let you answer this one um, real quick before I give my little spiel. Uh, yeah, um, I brought this question up and yes, it bothers the hell out of me. Like I. I don't understand why we're bringing kids on. First of all, they're not invited to the school. They just scheduled a visit. And then we're going to let them go through the wardrobe, put on their favorite number, and go all out like I'm all in. And it's it's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's laughable. It's embarrassing, quite honestly, that like I'm, we'll just use Georgia. For Georgia to let these kids put on their uniform, I'm like, I guess it's harmless, and I could understand that angle of it, but I think it's ridiculous. I, I, I think it's stupid, and I think it's ridiculous. And you know, like I would have a problem if, like, a kid that I, you know, that's talking about he's going to come to my school is going and putting on the uniform of everybody else. I understand that today's kids are completely different, and I'm pretty sure if my son went on a visit, he'd probably want to do it too. I get it, but I. I, and I don't know why it irks the hell out of me. I really don't. I can't, I don't have a, I don't have the ability to articulate why it bothers me so much, but yes, it bothers the hell out of me. And I, I think it's dumb. I just think it's dumb. 
Jeremiah Stockton says in the comments, if they're allowed to be offered a scholarship at that age, then they should be allowed to take that uniform picture. I somewhat agree in that okay, sense, hold on. but I think – Wait. If they're allowed to be offered a scholarship, true, but a lot of these kids aren't even being recruited by the schools. But they can't stop them from coming. It's it's like I said, it's I like um, use the kid that everybody always talks about, Juju, right? So that's Julian Lewis for you guys who don't know who that is. He's an he's a ninth grader quarterback uh, at Carrollton now, number one player. Um, like he makes sense when he schedules these visits. The schools want them there, and I'm not going to blast kids' names, but there's other kids who don't even play on their teams that are going to these schools and putting on uniforms. I have seen pictures of kids that I know who don't even freaking play. That's ridiculous. Um, uh, kind of along the same lines as Jeremiah here. I think it's fine in the grand scheme of things because I think a part of the college experience when you're on these visits as athletes is you're going to want to put on the jersey. You're going to see what those threads are like, especially if you're going to a place like Oregon, Oregon where – I don't like to use this term and I won't use this term lightly, but that where, you know, you're going to a school, which is a gadget school where they have all these cool uniforms, all these cool helmets. Why not try those things on? Um, the high schooler in me says, yes, it's cool. But then again, you know, growing up and seeing it throughout the recruiting process, I think, college, you know, maybe Georgia could, or colleges as a whole can be a little bit more selective of who they let wear those uniforms, because I do get the argument of why, you know, there's a lot of people Social media, Josh Pate articulated this perfectly over in the late kick, uh, the late kick uh, saying, you know, the reason that some fans don't want to see it, don't want to see it is because those uniforms mean something to them. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of tradition and prestige that comes to wearing the Georgia jersey, that comes to wearing the University of Texas, University of Alabama, the University of Notre Dame, some of the, you know, one of the most iconic uniforms in college football, and they're out here taking pictures in it, and you look down the road, they don't ever consider Notre Dame, you know, they don't ever commit to it. So I, I see the point here. Maybe you should reserve some of those pictures for later. Um, you know, if you know a kid's going to you, then by all means. But like I said, I, I'm, I'm fine with it um, because I'm, you know, at the end of the day, I'm young. And that's just the the new normal, I guess. That's something I've grown up watching. No, I'm saying that these pictures should be reserved for juniors and seniors. I don't think we should have eighth graders putting uniforms on. I just don't. I mean, like I said, I, I like you got a kid like Julian Lewis, or you could even say Tyler Atkinson. Those kids are bona fide superstars, but you have a lot of kids who are really good at eighth and ninth grade, but they get passed by everybody else once puberty hits and they're irrelevant. So now you've got like, I, I think 11th and 12th graders, you know, getting ready to make those decisions. Absolutely. Let them take the pictures. I just have a problem with the eighth and ninth graders showing up, taking all these pictures. That's it's the young ones. That's the problem that I have. It's not the older kids. It's the younger ones. And with that, Ludminson, I'm going to let Dan take it away for Dan's rant of the week. And no, it is not on kids wearing uniforms. This is a little bit different. This is football related. Um, and Dan, is it something you're angry about, hyped about, or kind of in the middle about? Now, this is something that just annoys me to no ends. It's the football know-it-alls and the one-uppers. And you meet these guys all over the place. You really meet these guys on high school Friday nights in the press boxes. They know everything. And whatever story you have to tell, they got a better one. 
and they just drive me crazy. So, you know, when you have a chance to go to all these high schools, you meet a lot of different people. And for the most part, most of the people involved with high school football are really good people. And this, this applies to every level of football. I'm just telling you a specific story that would be high school related. So there are always a handful of guys that always seem to end up in the same press boxes where they know everything about every player. They know everything about every situation. They know all the gossip. They know everything. They, they think they know everything. And you can have a conversation like, hey, listen, I really think this team is going to be good. They got this going on. They're going to do this, this, that, and the other. And they'll be like, no, I, you know, like uh, I wrote about it already. And and they were, they're going to be terrible. And they're not that much better about it. And, and it's just so freaking ridiculous. Like, I don't understand the people who, when they walk into a room, they feel like they have to be the smartest guy in the room. They have to know everything. I admit when I don't know things and I like to listen to other people's perspective and I like to learn. Um, one of the things that drew me to Brooks at the very beginning was his ability to watch film, break down film. And I knew that I didn't have that talent. I, I couldn't watch film the way that he does and break it down the way that he does and necessarily get everything out of it that he does. And by watching him, I've started to be better at it. So when I'm watching film or I'm watching a highlight tape, I'm looking for different things and I have learned that from watching him do what he does. So I don't understand the position of a person where they have to know it all and they have to think they're everybody. And then to go one step further than that, the one-uppers. It's like, dude, everybody in this press box or everybody in this room or everybody in this chat knows when you're full of shit. I mean, you like some of these stories are absolutely ridiculous and laughable. You know, you could be like, hey, listen, I was at this game last week and uh, kid made an absolute outstanding play, and this is what he did, and he he won the game. We're like, oh yeah, well I was at the game last week, and a, and a UFO came down, landed on the fifty yard line, and the punter hit it, and it deflected off of him. The defensive end caught it, and then it got hit by the fullback, and then the quarterback picked it up and threw it and hit the sun. I mean, it's like, come on, dude, just I don't know, it just drives me crazy. And Harrison is not part of the show anymore i don't think so my rant is over mic troubles How, how's my audio sound i just realized you sound like you're in a hallway it's okay it's all right let's go dan so dan with that i'm gonna let you take it away to start off these uh the rankings as i yeah. try and figure out what's going on here yeah, no problem. All right, so our next segment that we're going to move on to. So we're going to talk about our 22 season predictions. And what we're going to do is we're going to run through what we think the East is going to look like. We're going to run through what the West is going to look like. And then we're going to parlay that into what we ultimately think the Final Four for college football is going to look like at the end of the season. So we'll start out with the East. And Harrison had a lot of the really nice notes prepared for his thoughts. So hopefully he gets his microphone fixed out or fixed up. But um, for me, the way I have the East shaking up, and I think it's pretty standard for the most part, I've got Georgia coming in first, Kentucky second, uh, Tennessee third, ten South Carolina fourth, Florida fifth, Missouri sixth, and Vanderbilt seventh. Now, Florida could easily, easily end up anywhere from three to six on that group. It's very hard to tell exactly what they're going to be because they have a new system coming in with Billy Napier. I think Billy Napier is going to do a fantastic job down there at Florida. However, 
I think it may take a minute to get them on on the ball. Now, I got Kentucky going at number two. I've seen a lot of people having them with one or two losses. I did hear something interesting the other day, and I think it was Jonathan and Jeremiah were talking about there's a real possibility that Kentucky could go into that Georgia game undefeated, which would make it an amazing game to go watch. Uh, But two, if Kentucky were to have a loss but somehow managed to beat Georgia, they would be in the driver's seat for the SEC East Championship. So that game is very important to Georgia. Now, Tennessee, I have them in third. Um, I like what Tennessee does. I think Tennessee has a chance to be really, really good. I know that their offense is going to be really good. I don't necessarily know how great their defense is. The one thing I will say is out of all the teams in the East, I know that Tennessee has probably been down longer than some of the other ones. But they historically – have been able to get it going. And when they are, they're a very dangerous team and they're a very dangerous team to Georgia because they can recruit this area very well when they're going well. South Carolina got them at four, uh, primarily because of um, Spencer Rattler. I think Spencer Rattler is a major upgrade to a walk-on postgraduate student. (laughs) I don't think it's hard to make that argument. Like Again, like I said, Florida at five, but I could see them being anywhere. It's just very hard to predict exactly where they be where they're going to be. And then Missouri and Vanderbilt, there's a really good chance Vanderbilt doesn't win a single conference game. Hell, there's a really good chance that Missouri, the only conference game they win is against Vanderbilt. So uh, that's my Eastern rankings, Harrison. Hopefully you've got your microphone issues sorted out. And I would love to hear what you think the East shapes up like. Testing, how we sound? You're great. Let's go. Let's hear your East. Thank you uh, for calling me audible, Dan, there, because that was uh, very, very bad. I, I don't know what's going on. It's not. It's still not picking up my microphone as uh, the microphone that it's called, so we'll have to figure that out post-show. But real quick, go through the East, my East rankings. I have it, and I actually forgot um, to put it up on the screen. Um, oh, sorry about that, Dan. <laughs> my East ranking so far, I have number one, Georgia. Obviously, no surprise there. I think Georgia, uh, I saw a stat the other day. Georgia is like, what, 36 and five in conference over the last like four years, over the last five years, which is, you know, pretty impressive. But number two, I got Tennessee. And number three, I got Kentucky. Four, Florida, South Carolina at five, Missouri at six, and Vanderbilt at seven. So real quick, going through um, just some little, some notes that I put together, talking about um, you know probably some of the more surprising picks that I have right now. You know, I think some people may question why I have Tennessee over Kentucky, and it's no, I'm not buying really not as much as I'm buying into the Tennessee hype, but more not buying into the Kentucky hype. You know, heading into year two under Josh Heupel, you know, despite losing so much talent from the transfer portal last year after Jeremy Cruitt was fired and all that and the whole catastrophe um, that happened there. Tennessee still put together a strong season relative to where, you know, many thought they were going preseason leading up to that year. They're boosted by an explosive, fast-paced offense. Uh, and now heading into year two, you get another year of Hendon Hooker, one of probably the top – one of the top quarterbacks returning, starting quarterbacks returning in the SEC this year. Um, and he, you know, so far what we saw last year on, on, on tape and from that perspective, it looks like he can probably single-handedly carry the volunteers offense. Now he's going to get some help. And I think Georgia fans are very aware of this guy. Um, you played, you played him last year and I think, you know, he beat you on occasion. He got the better of you. Cedric Tillman, senior wide receiver, Dan, when we talk about explosive play, 
This kid is the definition of an explosive play. He can get over the top of any defense. He got past Darren Kendridge a couple of times. If I'm not wrong, he beat Keely Ringo on a rep or two. I don't know um, if – I think he, he had a monster game, if I remember, statistically against Georgia. Obviously, it did not result in a win for him. But, you know, heading into year two, usually that is a year where, you know, some of the better head coaches take a massive leap. Um, you know, their teams as a whole take a massive leap. And I think Tennessee is probably going to be one of those teams. Uh, you know, the magic number, I imagine, is probably going to be five wins. Whoever gets five wins is going to come in second um, in the SEC East. You need five conference wins, that is. Uh, and then with Kentucky, real quick, they lost Wando Robinson. Rondo Robinson accounted for majority of their production in the passing game. You also lose offensive coordinator Liam Cohen, uh, who went back to the NFL to go serve as the offensive coordinator with the same, uh, with the Los Angeles Rams. I got to see what they look like on offense. Are they still running the same things? I've, you know, what does it look like? What does their offense look like? Are they still explosive without Wanda Robinson? Obviously, they have a potential first-round quarterback and Will Levis. Now, coming down to my final two thoughts before I kick it over to Dan for his SEC rest uh, standings is Florida and South Carolina. I, you know, no one really knows where Florida's going to be this year. It's year one under Bill Napier. It looks like they're probably going to be relying on a heavy run game um, and ask as much as they can out of Anthony Richardson, who's going to, you know, that's going into his first full year as the starter, you know, has a big arm and everything, and, and, and is athletic. He can make plays with his legs, not only with his arms. So I think there's some versatility there with that offense. But I got to see what it looks like, and we're going to get, you know, an early view of what Florida is. Season opener against Utah, probably a top 10 team. In my opinion, they are a top 10 team in the country. They have one of the best defenses in the country year in and year out. And it's going to be a big test for the Gators. Now, if Florida stays, I'm not asking Florida to go win this game. I don't think they do. I think Utah is probably the much better team. Cameron rising at quarterback. Utah is a very underrated offense. Now, if Florida competes and makes it close, keeps it close with Utah, then I think that's that's where you're going to see, you know, that's 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 the main, that's the bar that is going to be set. If they can keep it close to Utah, and they can play, you know, up to probably third or fourth in the SEC East. Uh, so with that being said, before we move on, real quick, Shane Beamer, another year two coach heading into a second year, brings in Spencer Rattler, brings in Austin Stogner. I know Dan went into this a little bit. You know, that's those are value improvements right there. He he definitely improved his roster. His offense was not great last year. I think they you know, we'll, we'll see what this offensive coordinator is made of uh, when you give them some weapons. So we'll, we'll, we're going to find out what the Gamecocks are. I'm not buying the whole South Carolina is going to upset Georgia. That is just reaching, grasping straws, trying to reinvent history, uh, recreate history that happened, you know, three years ago or whatever. So, Dan, with that, let's talk about the SEC West. Well, the SEC West, you know, for years has been getting talked about as being so much better than the East. I really don't think so anymore. I really think – that the you know two through seven on both sides of the conferences are a lot more aligned than they have been in past years. I don't really see a bunch of bohemists out in the West anymore, but I have Alabama number one. Alabama is going to go number one. They're going to go unchallenged, and there's a really good chance that when they play Georgia in the SEC championship game, it's not pretty. I really think Alabama is going to be that good. I think they're unlo- they are completely loaded, and I think they're going to be scary good this year. Uh, I have Arkansas number two. And the, basically the main reason I have them number two is I know that Sam Pittman's going to do a great job with the offensive line. And if you have a really good offensive line, you have a chance. I think their defensive line is going to be good. And I really think uh, K.J. Jefferson, that's the quarterback, right? That's his name? KJ, please tell me I didn't mess that up. All right, so K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback, um, 
really, really impressed with what he was able to do last year. I think he is going to be a very, very good quarterback, and I think he is the reason that Arkansas uh, wins some games that maybe they haven't in the past. I have Ole Miss at number three. Uh, I kind of have a secret love affair with uh, Lane Kiffin. I love that dude. I can't get enough of Lane Kiffin. If he's talking, I'm listening. Um, I think he his offenses are so, so dynamic and so creative and so inventive. Uh, I really like everything that he does offensively. Defensively, they started to get a little bit better last year, and then Jackson Dart coming in to play quarterback, I think, uh, will alleviate some of the uh, loss burden that they have from losing Matt Corral, who I think we're going to realize coming down the road here in the next couple of years how good Matt Corral actually was. And then I have the stupid Jimbos at number four. Um, I hope they lose every single game. I wish they were number seven. Um, but Jimbo's going to do something stupid to cost themselves a game. Um, he, then he's going to blame it on somebody else because that's what he does. I have LSU at number five. However, that's almost laughable that LSU is at number five. I think there's a chance that LSU is better than number five. I have told you in the past, I think Brian Kelly is a better head coach that people give him credit for, regardless of the wins, losses that he had at Notre Dame. Winning at Notre Dame in today's culture is more difficult than it used to be in the past. So I think LSU, I just have them down at five. If they were number two or number three, would not shock me if they knocked some people off. Auburn at number six, because I think despite trying to put on a happy face for Brian Harson, I don't think that Auburn has their stuff together. And I really don't like, I just really don't like what's going on inside that program right now. I think they, they completely blew it by not going to get Billy Napier when they had the opportunity. I think Billy Napier would have been an absolute freaking home run at Auburn. That is right in his neighborhood. Auburn, right across the border of Alabama, right from where the guy's from. He would have recruited that area. And you have to understand a lot of those Georgia kids that grew up in that area are actually Auburn fans. They grew up Auburn fans. So people who live in the state of Georgia in that area are actual Auburn fans. So, um, you know, I, I, they're, you know, they're whatever. Then Mississippi State, poor, um, Mike Leach is the only redeeming quality at Mississippi State, and maybe they win a couple – I mean, they're going to have a quarterback that probably throws for 5,000 yards and wins two games. I don't know how that's possible, but it's probably going to happen. So I have Alabama, Arkansas, Ole Miss, the stupid Jimbos, LSU, Auburn, and Mississippi State. Not too different from what I had. Uh, not very different at all. Um, so no shocker here, Alabama number one. Uh, number two, Texas A&M. I think me and Dan are in agreement there. Although I think a lot of people would love to see A&M drop down. They're probably not. Like Jeremiah Stoddard said in the comments, they're most, you know, at least going to be third, but most likely going to be second in the in the division. That's just where they are right now. They're perennial eight and four program. But with that being said, I do want to talk about Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M because they are coming off his fourth season in College Station as the head coach. Eight and four season. It's the just the mean. It's the mean right now in College Station under Jimbo Fisher. He's coming off an offseason where he signed what is being dubbed the best recruiting class of all time. After signing that class, many were saying in January, granted, January, remember that, that AM won the offseason. They signed the best class of all time. They have the number one recruiting class in all of college football. And that means they're going to go out and win championships over the next few years. They may not be wrong. You know, that that is basically what signing a number one recruiting class means is that the expectation is for you to go out there and win championships. But then reality struck. 
the offseason happened. It was January. They were too fast to say it's AM's offseason. Ever since then, Dan, ever since January, and minus the, the little you know spat, public spat between Fisher and Nick Saban, AM has been virtually silent. You know, how can it be that University of Southern Cal, a program that's been probably worse for wear than Texas AM over the last 10 years, can sign a massive transfer for class and is gaining more expectations than Texas AM? A program that is going into their first year under Lincoln and Riley. Yes, what Lincoln did this offseason was in by all means transformative. It is, you know, if Lincoln Riley finds success in Southern California, it is going to transform how people build their rosters in year one of a program. Hey, it may mean you're going to see a lot more programs taking just 12 high school athletes a year and instead stocking up on the transfer portal. But now, you know, a number one recruiting class at his back. And you know, it comes off basically reaching the status quo of winning eight to nine games every year. Yes, he had the 9 and one 2020 season, but when the 10-game shortened schedule was gone, he regressed back to the mean. I'm not, you know, I don't think AM's going to win the West. There are a lot of people out there saying, you know, just for the sake of all the controversy that went down, that AM's going to win the West. It's going to be a huge storyline all throughout college football is, you know, can't – Fisher, Slay, Nick Saban again. I don't think so. The defense is talented. AM has a great defense, Dan. They have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. That's defense, Dan. Is Fisher a defensive coordinator? Real quick, Dan. Do you know that question? Was, was Fisher a defensive coordinator? Just real quick. Was he ever? Ever. Or is he now? It was he ever a defensive coordinator? I don't I don't think so. Answer is it, no, Dan. <laughs> Answer is no. So you know, he's an offensive guy. He was an offensive mastermind, as people caught him. But let's look at his offense, the offense, Dan. What are the expectations for AM's offense? Well, they don't they don't really have any playmakers on the outside. Yes, you have uh, – I think they had, you know, a five-star from last year, a five-star Evan Stewart, highly rated receiver from last, or this past class. You got him, but outside of him, there's really nothing there. They've been a sluggish, non-explosive offense – they are basically what their offense is looking like with, you know, you got transfer quarterback Max Johnson who's expected to win or expect to be competing for that job. Or there's some buzz that Haynes King's going to win that job. But what I see from them on offense, Dan, is not explosive. It, it, it's not a championship winning offense. It, is the, it looks like the equivalent of the 2019 Georgia offense. That's what I see. A sluggish, non-explosive offense, but you got a really good defense to bail you out. But the only difference is here, Dan, Anam's not going to get by with an average offense in the SC West. They're not going to do it because you got to play in Ole Miss. You got to play in Alabama. You got to play a Mississippi State all air raid. I, I don't see it. They're, they're, they're going to be second, but they're not having anything above the mean of eight wins. Real quick, yeah. finishing, rounding off the top. What's up, Dan? I was like, if, go ahead and finish your list. Rounding off the rest of the standings, I have Ole Miss at three. Uh, Arkansas. Oh wait, no, sorry, wrong, wrong. I was looking at the wrong thing. Um, Arkansas at three, Ole Miss at four, LSU at five, Mississippi State at six, and Auburn at seven. And real quick, I do want to mention the. Where is it? There it is. I do want to mention. Talk about Arkansas real quick. Everyone loves Arkansas. I love Sam Pittman just as much as the next guy. Uh, yeah, I love Sam Pittman probably as much as Dan does. Everyone loves Sam Pittman as a coach and as a person. 
But I'm not buying the Arkansas hype. I see people out here saying that Arkansas is going to be number two in the SEC West. I don't see it happening. Obviously, they're not looking into what Arkansas has lost from the past year. They lose a huge playmaker in Traylon Burks. I would love to see statistics for what amount of production he produced in that offense because I'm sure it was a lot. You also, I mean, you bring back starting quarterback K.J. Jefferson. who showed a lot of promise in that offense. But is it enough? Yes, you bring in a former five-star Jaden Hazelwood from offense, uh, from Oklahoma. But is he as versatile as Traylon Burks? From what we've seen at Oklahoma, no. They're two different players. He, you know, Hazel was more of your traditional outside receiver. You can go play in the slot, can go to all these different things. But you're not going to run, you know, the same plays with Jaden Hazelwood. You ran with Jalen Burks. They're just two different athletes. Yes, Arkansas snapped a nine-game winning losing streak to AM last year and ended up, you know, being a really big season for Arkansas, despite losing to Georgia and Alabama. But I'm 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 not I'm not here for the Arkansas hype. I think they're getting third. I'm not poo-pooing on them. I think they're going to get third. They're probably going to get eight to nine wins. It's going to be another successful year for Sam Pittman. But I will say, you look at their first two games. They start with Cincinnati and South Carolina. They come out, they beat Cincinnati, do it in pretty good fashion, and you beat South Carolina, a team who I think is probably going to be a gritty, um, going to have to grind it out against. They win those two games. Then hey, maybe I flip my pick. And I do see them beating AM and maybe getting second in the West. But right now, I don't see it happening. Dan, you had something well, to add? Yeah, I don't see Texas State. I don't think – I think people are gifting Texas A&M second. Like I saw John, Jeremiah say, oh, you know they're going to be second. Okay, well, they play App State in the second game. They could lose that game. App State can come up and beat them. They play Miami. They could lose that game. They play Arkansas. They could lose that game. They play Mississippi State. They're not losing that game. They play Alabama. They will lose that game. They play South Carolina. Could lose that game. They play Mississippi. Absolutely could lose that game. They play Florida. They could lose that game. They play Auburn. They'll probably win that game. They play UMass. Definitely win that game. Then they play LSU. They could lose that game. There are games on that schedule. There's eight games on that schedule they could lose. So this gifting Texas a what has Texas A&M done? What have they done in the last 10 years to tell you that they can walk through the schedule? I I would understand if I was reading cupcake after cupcake after cupcake and maybe two or three tough games. I get it. There are eight games on that schedule that they could li- they could literally lose. So I, I I'm over the top just done with this Texas A&M. They they ain't done nothing. They don't have it. Like they don't have the superstar roster. Okay, yeah. So they have one really good recruiting class. They're all freshmen. Name one team in the history to NCAA that's walked through the SEC with a freshman roster and whooped everybody's ass. That ain't never happened, and it ain't going to happen. Alabama has one or two, maybe three freshmen every year that can freaking ball out. But guess what? They're surrounded by juniors and seniors who are five stars that can ball out, and that's why they're they shine. You are not going to have a weak ass team. Like oh, like A and M has like an eight and four team, and then add a couple freshmen to it, and all of a sudden be war daddies. That ain't happening, Captain. So, just saying. A little disagreement here. I, I, I think yes. I mean, A and M has had a talented roster by all means. They've they've they're not number one recruiting class talent, but they've had top ten recruiting classes. They they have talent. The only question is whether offense is going to show up and going to play like a Jimbo Fisher offense that led Jimbo Fisher to his only national title. But here, here's the comparison I will say. They're in kind of the same slot Georgia was in under Mark Rick over those last five years where 
they're a good team, an underdog to win their division or win the SEC as a whole, but they have just enough talent to kind of get by with being second place in their division. That's where I see them. Their defense is going to be good this year. They have a lot of talent. Now, if they if they crap the bet on defense, that's going to be the end of their year. They're they're going to be fourth. You know, they could they could drop all the way to five. They could be a middle of the pack SEC team. But I'm not necessarily giving them the SEC West second place. I just think in you know when you compare the two rosters, Arkansas is losing a lot more than Texas A&M did from a year ago, which is why I think that they will get second. It's possible. Anyway, so we will move off of that, and we will move on to our college football playoff predictions. And these are, for the most part, they're typically easy to nail because you know what's going to happen, but there's always a one team. So I think anybody that says Georgia and Alabama are going to be in it, probably got like a 95% chance of being right. I mean, you're not – I mean, picking chalk is not the hardest thing in the world to do. But you I and mean, Georgia, I – Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, I mean, maybe 95% as well. <laughs> right. So I, so for mine, I have Alabama, and you you had the records, and I, I agree with you, so my records are the same. I think Alabama 13-0, and Ohio State is 13-0, and Georgia's 12-1 and with their one loss being to Alabama in the SEC championship game. The only question I have there is that's exactly what happened last year. Does the committee hold that against them? Uh, the committee can do whatever the hell they want to. There's not really any rules. I mean, they can say that there's rules, but they can do whatever they want. And then I have my fourth team, I have USC. And hear me out. Um, first of all, they don't play anybody. Um, they're going to have a chance to walk through it. They're going to have the most talented quarterback in the country, more than likely, Caleb Williams, barring any kind of injury. Now, there are some things that have to be done, but Lincoln, Lincoln Riley has shown the ability to have his team navigate a regular season. I'm not saying that they can win a national title, but he has shown the ability to navigate a regular season, done it very, very well. But the caveat to all this is, can we just agree the college football playoffs is a television product? Can we agree to that, right? If we all enter this conversation with the understanding that more than anything else, the college football playoff is a television show. You have Alabama and Georgia, which are soaking up the Southeast, right? And if you add another team from the Southeast, uh, like a, I don't know, like a Miami or somebody or Clemson or whatever, you're you're soaking up too many votes, too many eyes, all in the same area, and you alienate the rest of the country. So Ohio State. Ohio State makes sense because they're arguably one of the top two or three teams in the country. They're going to run through the Big Ten and laugh all the way to the championship game. Um, so I have – so now you have Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. So you're going to get the entire Midwest. And then you're going to get USC. USC is going to finally bring in that West Coast audience that we've been missing for the last couple of years. And then moreover than that, the college football is going to have its four darlings in the playoffs. Every list you see, every column you read, there's a national column, the four darlings, Nick Saban, Ryan Day, Kirby Smart, and who? Lincoln Riley. So – you get your television market and you have your four darlings. You can write your articles, sell your papers, sell your subscriptions. It, it is the perfect final four to make everybody happy. I'm going a little different. Um, like you said, the first three are the same. Now, here's the question, Dan. I had trouble. 
I know, you know, I you know already, there's a secret. You said, you said there's you a already secret have a problem. You already have a problem. A one-loss Utah Number team four. is not getting it. Yeah, they're not well, getting here's it. Here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. With Utah, I think the first three are straightforward. Here's the thing with Utah. I think Utah is going to beat USC in the regular season. That's that's my prediction as of right now where it stands. I think Utah is good enough to beat USC. Now, here's where the loss comes in. I think Utah loses to Oregon in the regular season. There's no way you beat Oregon four times in the last two years. I just don't see it happening. I think if Oregon plays how we think they will play under Dan Lanning, I think they probably cause an upset, beat Utah in the regular season. But where Utah gets it back is – playing them in the Pac-12 championship. I think Oregon it, it Oregon should make the Pac-12 title game. It, they should. They, they have a division. It, it should They should be good enough to go make that game. I, I, I think if you split one-on-one with Oregon, if you beat them in the Pac-12 title game, and there's no Big 12 team in the mix that's really a viable product, say, you know, Baylor maybe oh, loses oh. in the Big 12 title game to lose a second game, then I think you put Utah in. A one-loss Pac-10 team is not getting in because you'll have Oklahoma. A one-loss Oklahoma would get in over a one-loss Pac-12 because nobody has respect for the Pac-12. I mean, Oklahoma so, going one loss, I think is it's not as – not as – you know, they lost a lot of talent transportal. I got to see what that Oklahoma team looks like. I mean, well, you know, they could the slip other- up and lose two games. The other thing you have to keep in mind too is there's a really good chance Clemson runs their schedule only doesn't that lose a game. So you're going to have a uh, a no loss Clemson will go over a one loss Pac-10. So absolutely, Utah Utah could absolutely make the playoffs. They're just not going to do it with one loss unless you have some crazy certain, stuff happen. Yeah. Hey, hey, I'm thinking that crazy is going to happen. Alabama has a loss. Ohio State has a loss. Georgia has a loss. And Clemson has a lot. I mean, now you're opening it up for anybody, but I think it's going to be tough, man. Tough. Absolutely. And with that, Dan, it is week zero in honor of week zero. Got some prediction. Got a prediction um, for us each. I'm going to let you open it up. Do you want me to go first? Or do you want to go first? Sure. You go first as long as we're not picking the same game. No, we are not. I, I made sure we weren't. Um, okay. So my matchup of the week is I think it's being played at 10 o'clock. Going to Honolulu, Dan. Honolulu. <laughs> Honolulu, Hawaii. Vanderbilt versus Hawaii. The barn burner we've all been waiting for since the schedules came out. I have Vanderbilt in a shootout over Honolulu just because I liked – God, I'm blanking on his name. I liked Vanderbilt's uh, coach's speech at SC Media Day. Man, he gave long-worded – a long-worded monologue. Use some words that, heck. I'm not used to hearing in college football head coaches press conferences. I like Clark Lee. There it goes. It came back to me. Clark Lee, I like him. I think there there is some potential for them to win that game. I know Hawaii, you know, they were good a few years ago, and they could still be good. I don't really f- follow with Hawaii. But, Dan, if I'm staying up till past 10 o'clock, past midnight to watch a game, it's going to be because Vanderbilt is a barn bur- is having a barn burner with Hawaii. I think Vanderbilt probably wins that. I think that game goes into maybe the high 20s. Um, and it's kind of like a shootout by their standards. All right, so the game I'm going to pick is in the motherland, Ireland, and it is two teams that when you think of Ireland, you definitely think of these two teams. When the Blarney Stone, 
you have Northwestern and Nebraska. Because I know when I think of going home to Ireland, I think of Nebraska and Northwestern. I have no idea how those two teams ended up playing a game in Ireland. Um, however, Nebraska with Scott Frost has not been doing well. And it is very hard for me to pick against Northwestern because I think their coaching staff does a, an amazing job. And um, their coach has now escaped my brain. Um, oh, my gosh. I, Northwestern? I, I cannot – yeah, so anyway, he was a linebacker at Northwestern. He has stayed at Northwestern. People have tried to get him to leave. He will not leave Northwestern. Those kids love him. They play hard for him. Um, I have a feeling that he is going to be able to keep those kids focused. Pat Fitzgerald. And Pat Fitzgerald. I was about to say something else. So um, he is going to do a great job. So I, I have I have Northwestern winning that game, and I have them winning relatively comfortably, but – at some point, Nebraska is going to get it back on track, you would have to think. So here's my question. You know, I think there's a lot of expectations on Nebraska. Obviously, Scott Frost is, one of them, is on one of the hottest seats in all of college football heading into this year. If he loses game one, what are the chances he, I mean, can turn it around and at least get this team bowl eligible? Uh, he better. I mean, if, if he can't get that team bowl eligible, he might want to take up residence in Ireland and not come back. Because those people in North, they don't want to hit, hit the plane. Them corn farmers are going to come after you with pitchforks. I'm telling you, my guy. I'm excited to see what the draw is there. I want to see how this these two fan bases travel. At, at Nebraska, Nebraska has some of the most diehard fans because their team they've been putting up with a lot of crap over the last decade. I got to see these people travel. So Nebraska fans will travel. When I went to uh, the Gaylord. Uh, whatever it was, the one in Orlando, the bowl game down in Orlando when Georgia played Nebraska. First of all, some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, they, I mean, like I met the guy who wears the uh, the overalls and paints his body like a cornstalk and wears the hat. I met that guy, super nice. Uh, took a picture with him. I think I have it on my phone. I'm not 100 sure, but uh, dude, they were awesome. They would invite you into their tailgate, and by the way, can cook really good, good food. Um, Nice people, but I mean, it was packed. I mean, you couldn't really tell if it was 50 50 or if they had more fans than Georgia fans because we weren't that great back then. We did win the game, but we weren't that great. But because they were all wearing red and we were all wearing red, so the stadium was just all red. Um, but super nice people, and they travel and they're really enthusiastic about their team. I, I've got nothing negative to say about the Nebraska fans, nothing. They were great people, absolutely. And with that. Are, I would say Northwestern people are wine and cheese people like Georgia Tech. They, if, if it's an inconvenience, they're not going. So just it is what it is. And with that being said, there are your week zero game predictions. Guys, we're going to highlight some of our favorite games each week and give you predictions week in, week out. I am excited. College football season is here, baby. We are finally back. We've made it through the dark times. There are a lot of times where me and Dan sit down and did the show notes and we're like, huh, what do we want to talk about? Those fall camp previews, guys, I hope you enjoyed them. I hope you learned from them because, I mean, it was a lifesaver for the both of us when we could say, oh, well, let's do this position this week. Um, it gets a little excitement when you get into it and you like to get a position you like. So with that being said, make sure you follow Dan Kiley at Dan Kiley 3 on Twitter. Follow me at Harrison Reno. Guys, stay tuned. We got a some exciting big announcement coming soon re- re- revolving around Dan and I. 
and two other podcasters. We've got some exciting news going to be coming at you very, very soon within the next 24 to 48 hours. Make sure you like and subscribe on YouTube. Make sure you share it with your friends and family. Hit up Dan on the, and his DMs. Give him some, you know, some whatever you want to hear. Hit us both up. Give us some advice. Give us some critiques. If you hate us, tell us you hate us and tell us why so we can make it so you don't hate us anymore. Um, and if you love the show, make sure you let us know. Rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you share it. I will, we will see you back next Tuesday for episode 55 of the Top Dog Talk podcast. Oh, my God, I almost messed that up. That would have been bad. But we may see you a little bit sooner on the Internet. We will see um, you all very soon. Guys, that's Dan Kylie. I'm Harrison Reno. And with, with it official, says Dark Horse Nebraska, make sure you like and subscribe, guys. We will see you back next week for episode 55 of the Top Dog Talk podcast.